Under December 6, 1933, by the Honorable John M. Woolsey in regard to another considerably more outspoken book, one would have to forego the publication of Lolita altogether, since those very scenes that one might ineptly accuse of a sensuous existence of their own are the most strictly functional ones in the development of a tragic tale tending unswervingly to nothing less than a moral apotheosis. The cynic may say that commercial pornography makes the same claim. The learned may counter by asserting that H.H.'s in Passion Confession is a tempest in a test tube, that at least 12% of American adult males, a conservative estimate according to Dr. Blanche Schwartzman, verbal communication, enjoy yearly, in one way or another, the special experience H.H. describes with such despair that had our demented diarist gone in the fatal summer of 1947 to a competent psychopathologist, there would have been no disaster. But then neither would there have been this book. This commentator may be excused for repeating what he has stressed in his own books and lectures, namely that offensive is frequently but a synonym for unusual. And a great work of art is, of course, always original, and thus, by its very nature, should come as a more or less shocking surprise. I have no intention to glorify H.H. No doubt he is horrible, he is abject, he is a shining example of moral leprosy, a mixture of ferocity and jocularity that betrays supreme misery, perhaps, but is not conducive to attractiveness. He is ponderously capricious. Many of his casual opinions on people and scenery of this country are ludicrous. A desperate honesty that throbs through his confession does not absolve him from sins of diabolical cunning. He is abnormal. He is not a gentleman. But how magically his singing violin can conjure up a tendresse, a compassion for Lolita that makes us entranced with the book while abhorring its author. As a case history, Lolita will become, no doubt, a classic in psychiatric circles. As a work of art, it transcends its expiatory aspects, and still more important to us than scientific significance and literary worth is the ethical impact the book should have on the serious reader. For in this poignant personal study there lurks a general lesson. The wayward child, the egotistic mother, the panting maniac... These are not only vivid characters in a unique story. They warn us of dangerous trends. They point out potent evils. Lolita should make all of us, parents, social workers, educators, apply ourselves with still greater vigilance and vision to the task of bringing up a better generation in a safer world. John Ray, Jr., Ph.D., Whitworth, Massachusetts, August 5th, 1955. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul. Lolita, the tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita. She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line, but in my arms she was always Lolita. Did she have a precursor? She did, indeed she did. 
In point of fact, there might have been no Lolita at all had I not loved one summer a certain initial girl-child in a princedom by the sea. A when? About as many years before Lolita was born as my age was that summer. You can always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, exhibit number one is what the seraphs, the misinformed, simple, noble-winged seraphs envied. Look at this tangle of thorns. I was born in 1910 in Paris. My father was a gentle, easygoing person, a salad of racial genes, a Swiss citizen of mixed French and Austrian descent with a dash of the Danube in his veins. I'm going to pass round in a minute some lovely glossy blue picture postcards. He owned a luxurious hotel on the Riviera. His father and two grandfathers had sold wine, jewels and silk respectively.